today's guest is a wise wildlife carer in New South Wales who had to evacuate herself and the injured animals she was caring for when the devastating bushfires tore through her hometown last year in 2019. We discussed the day she had to evacuate as well as the aftermath on the wildlife, bush and her community. She's a remarkably strong and stoic woman and it was an absolute pleasure to speak to her. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Inga. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Inga. So tell me how long you've been working with them and how you got into uh, being a wildlife carer. Yes, I've been with WIRES almost eight years. I did other more domestic animal rescue for the years previous to that. Um, always wanted to do wildlife rescue, but kind of had to wait till my kids grew up a little bit more. So I have more time now. So are you caring, are you being a carer full time now? Uh, yes, pretty much all the time for, for eight years almost. Wow. Okay. And whereabouts are you based? You're in New South Wales? Uh, yeah, I'm actually in Balmoral in New South Wales, which is in Southern Highlands where we had the big bushfires. Okay. And were you always in New South Wales when you were caring for wildlife or was it? Yes, I was, but closer to the okay. city. My understanding is that you're dealing with birds and reptiles. Why did you go down the birds and reptiles route rather than the soft and fluffy koalas and kangaroos and uh, that sort of thing? Well, Kangaroos and koalas are soft and fluffy, but they're not necessarily nice animals. They're very dangerous, actually. Um, I decided. To- are they? I know that they can be feisty. Are they dangerous, though? Oh yes, extremely, especially if they're injured. Oh, they're okay. very, very strong animals, and um, yes, I wouldn't advise any no one to go near a koala or a kangaroo if it's injured. The usual fright and flight response, mm-hmm. and they're, they're extremely strong animals. So, how did you get into the reptile and bird? Yeah, most rescues that come in are birds, and I believe that they do. I mean, all the animals need to help, but um, as you already said, everyone wants to do the cute and cuddlies. Mm. So I decided to stick with birds, which is the majority of rescues, and they need just as much help as the other animals. Reptile was uh, reptiles was always an interest of mine. I now am qualified for um, snake rescues as well, but I only did that last year. Um, lizards, monitors, um, but I do rescue all species, including macropods and the odd koala. It just depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you put aside the differences with the koalas to, to help them out. That's good. <laughs> oh, look, That's good my, to my know. Favorite, my favorite part, I can't say anything favorite, but the main thing I love doing is, is rescues. Yeah. Uh, also caring for animals, but rescues is, mm. um, yeah. It's definitely something I really enjoy doing. What were you doing prior to the eight years that you've been caring? Were you were you involved in animals at all? Uh, I was always involved with um, domestic animals, um, chickens, ducks, kittens, dogs, mice, rats, but pet ones. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a caring capacity? Uh, no. Well, finding injured animals, taking them to the vet, um, yeah. Rehome, rehome domestic pets. Okay. Uh, if I had a condition, yeah, my mother did the same. <laughs> well, that's lovely. So eight years ago you said, okay, I'm going to do Australian wildlife and you went into the birds and reptiles. What sort of birds have you mostly been um, rehabilitating? Um, well, it's mainly local species. So there are a lot of yeah. parrots, obviously cockatoos. And actually when I started WISE, I had, I had a, a parrot phobia and my first rescue was a cockatoo. Oh, no. And there was like eight people watching and I thought I have to look really good here. And I did it. <laughs> How did you overcome the phobia? Well, I had to. I had to rescue a cockatoo. It was injured. I could not just say no. I had to do it. So, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you obviously, well, now you're dealing with them all the time. So you're obviously well and truly over that. Is it it mostly um, injuries from them interacting with cars or is it other forms of injuries like dog bites and stuff like that that you Uh, usually see? Yeah. um, Yes, we get lots of hit by car injuries, Mm. especially with with macropods and, I mean, obviously also with koalas and birds. Um, or it, uh, weather depending, they might fall out of the nest if it's stormy. 
Often we mm -hmm. also get uh, lovely, lovely members of the public who help out uh, by um, rescuing little birds which don't need rescuing. <laughs> but if they do ring wires, we explain all that. Mm. Uh, so what do you mean they rescue little birds that don't need rescuing? What do you mean by that? Um, for example, um, magpies, ravens, caravans, and pigeon species, the little ones leave the nest and they're like branch hoppers. They actually are flying off the ground for about the first two weeks of their life. Mum and dad will come and feed them. Um, also with ducklings, let's say wood ducklings, they go for a walk up to two kilometres. They don't breed near water, the wood ducks. Um, okay. Often they walk across busy roads as well. And people think they shouldn't be there. There's no water nearby. And they catch the ducklings. Mum and dad fly off and people assume that they, they uh, have abandoned them. But um, not so. so. So if they had left them there, the, the mum and dad ducks would come back? Yes. Yeah, they always come. Huh. But they won't come back if you're standing two metres away from the ducklings. <laughs> it's pretty much giving it 10 or 20 minutes, so we'll come back. And okay. So you were involved, given your location and the fact that you're an existing wise carer, um, you were involved in the bushfires from last year and one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast now heading into the new fire season we've already got fires burning in Queensland already um yes. is a to remind people what to do if they see an injured animal and also what they can do to help prepare now so talk what would be before the the whole fire season um debacle what would be a usual typical day for you caring for injured wildlife um I get up at six o'clock uh, on sunrise, so it depends on daylight saving and all that. Yeah. And I usually finish at six or seven p.m. Depends what I got in care. So I'll be feeding and cleaning the animals I have got in care. Mm -hmm. um, if I got little baby birds, I have to feed them every couple of hours, so I'm limited. Um, but if I don't have babies in care, I can actually go out there and rescue. Okay. Um, and I do different areas as well. What do you mean um, you do different areas, different locations? Um, yeah, I do. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm in Wise Wall and Dilly Branch. Uh huh. But we are always Wise. We do all. We all work together. All the different branches as well. So I might, I might be heading towards Campbelltown, which is Macarthur Branch, and I help out with the rescues there as well. Okay. And yeah. usually, so on a typical day, non-fire season, what? How many birds and reptiles would you have in your care? Um, I usually got a minimum of 10, but I had up to 115 animals in care. Now, that's not 115 cages. That may be 50 ducklings in two big aviaries. Okay. So not that anyone thinks I've got 150 cages. I don't. I wish I did. No, but not really. Um, and the main thing we do is we get young animals or young birds in. We buddy them up. They do so much better if they have the same Friends. species to cuddle yeah. up to. Um, so I'm very much for the budding up system. So okay. I never just have one of a kind. And mm -hmm. like I said, we team with other branches as well to buddy up. So you'll call somebody in another location and say, hey, I've got a kookaburra or something, and they'll say, okay, I've got another one. Bring yeah, it over. Yeah, we, we certainly all teamwork, and that's that's the best thing for the animals as well. That's good. So we've got coordinators, and coordinators help the members out and do the team working as well. I'm one of the bird coordinators. And um, I usually know about uh, who's got what in care. Mm -hmm. It's simply through com communication. We talk to each other every couple of days and um, something comes in and we email each other, okay, we've got a baby plover. They desperately need another one. And off we go and try and find one. <laughs> so are you doing this in a domestic home or are you on a property that allows the space for aviaries? Um, I was in a domestic home, but now I'm on six acres. Okay, so you started this when you're in a domestic home. Yeah, I had a bigger. Our block was about 750 square meters. Yeah, which is was is quite a good size for suburbia. And um, well, the whole backyard had changed into Avery's, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But so, space, yeah. So tell me about this. The with the, when the fires came through, when were you starting to get an increase in calls and um, it really affecting your area. What month? 
Uh, well, the fires came through uh, Balmoral on the 19th of, 19th of December. I evacuated the day before, which was the Wednesday. Uh, but generally also, because it was very, very hot uh, and the drought, and we are still in drought anyway, um, mm. and breeding season. So you look at September, October, bird and other animal breeding season, it increases. I know that wise at times can get up to a thousand bulls a day for rescues. Wow. Um, if it's really hot, um, for example, the bats, 38 degrees and above, the bats are going low because it gets too hot. If they have babies, if it gets too hot, the little babies just drop off. They just die. And then there's groups of wise volunteers going out to help out the said. So it's, it's very much weather depending. In winter, it's a little bit, it's more quiet, but uh, we still get, um, I mean, other animal attacks, say cat or dog attack or, or animals hit by cars or flying into windows. Rainbow lorikeets are very good at doing that. They go 100 miles an hour straight into a window. Mm. So definitely October, November, December, and the hotter month, it gets extremely busy. Lots of animals, uh, hypothermia, heat exhaustion. Some meters, they just collapse on the side of the road or wherever, wherever they are. So members of the public ring wires, which is absolutely wonderful. And we're always trying our best to get someone out there as soon as possible. But we're all volunteers, and most of our volunteers also work full-time. Now they do they do sort of after-work rescues and weekends as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can do this. I'm retired early, so I can do this seven days a week. Oh, I wish I was 10 days in a week and 50,000 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds – I think it's wonderful that you get so much pleasure out of helping them out. I always loved animals. Our whole family I grew up with – like more domestic animals, but we always loved animals. Were you on a, did you grow up on a farm or anything like that or just suburbia? No, I actually grew up in Munich in a flat, two-bedroom flat. But um, both my mother and father's side, they come from big farms and mm-hmm. we would always go into the farms. To see the grandparents? To see the grandparents and um, help out with with their animals. And there was lots of kittens and I always loved frogs and, and birds as well. As, as a child, I would save a sparrow from drowning or something like that. And, and I would always release them again. So when did you come to Australia? Um, 40 years ago. Okay. 1980, yeah. Okay. And then I got bitten by a tame cockatoo, and that's where my bird phobia came from. <laughs> oh, because then they, their bite's quite nasty. It's quite a strong bite. Oh, yes, it is, definitely, yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, Explain to me the situation when the fires came through, because I know that you were saying that December, the 19th of December, it came through your area, but there was a big lead up to the fires being around where you are. So sort of of take us back to that, the build up, you're in your peak season of dealing with injured animals anyway, being sort of September, October, November, your busy season. Yeah. Well, um, there was the fires coming down from, or was it Natai Lake Baragorang? Mm-hmm. We could see the smoke in the distance. Now that was an up, that was a few weeks earlier. But what happened with all the local fire stations? They called meetings. We attended all the meetings. Uh, once we told it's best you evacuate your animals now. Now in the end effect, they evacuated three times. Um, um. The last time, like I said, that Wednesday, 18th of December, it was five past twelve. I never forget it. Um, I had evacuated the day before on advice of the local fire brigade, uh, just in case again. Mm-hmm. And I had about six or seven baby birds, and then it's specialist care, so I've kept them with me. And I was actually just out in the paddock filming the smoke, which we were told was about 18 kilometers away. Uh, we didn't know it was five kilometers away. Um, what happened then is um, it was quite windy. And it, it got very, very hot suddenly. So my marble kind of melted. And my daughter ran across the paddock. She was eight months pregnant at the time. And she was just screaming, Mama, Mama, get out. Seek shelter. We can't get out. And I just said, I dropped everything. I said, run. So we ran. We knew we only got one road through here. I already knew we couldn't get out the bottom end. We had to go the other end. And we made it to the Hume Highway. And the highway was closed half an hour later. And... I didn't know for three days if we still have a house or home. What I did see on TV, though, of course, one watches 24-7 news, um, is our backyard, 18-meter flames. So I thought everything would have gone, but 
luckily didn't. Our local fire brigade helped big time here. And it's worth noticing, uh, mentioning rather that all the fireys out there in regional Australia, uh, they're mostly all volunteers as well. So big yes, shout out exactly. to them. Mm. Yes. Oh, absolutely brilliant. They, they saved lives. Unfortunately, two lives were lost between Balmoral and Buxton. Mm. So nice. It was, it, was, it was not something I will, ne- I will never forget this. Oh, terrifying. When your daughter was running across heavily pregnant running across the field saying get out um you you said that you'd evacuated the animals the day before so it was just you and your daughter there um yeah and a friend of mine okay and i had actually packed another bag which i totally forgot to put in the car and i thought it doesn't really matter because i looked back really quickly i thought it doesn't matter as long as we have our lives and i got the animals out and i tell you what i i never knew i could run that fast (laughs) Were you dealing with sort of full-on roads with ember attacks and everything when you were getting out? Um, no, not in front of our place, but further down towards Buxton, yes. And the okay. road was closed there. See, I didn't know that like, the last night we spent here. My daughter didn't didn't tell me. They walked out at night and the, the sky was just red and they could actually see it in the distance. If she would have woken me up, I would have just jumped in the car and left, actually. Yeah. But the thing is, we were still told by um, the main fire brigade, Homebush, we were still told we're safe, which would be a whole other debate. You know, it's a whole can of worms had already been opened about that. So, I think it's tricky as well when you've got changing wind conditions and then the fires, when they're that intense, they create their own winds and, yeah. it's Well, and, you know, sometimes spec burning can be, getting out of hand and done in the wrong area, can't it? (laughs) Yes. Mm. Mm. So when you're evacuating, you said you evacuated three times. What does that look like when you're evacuating animals? Are they going to Uh, other carers in other areas? Like what is it? Yes, I prearranged all that. I had evacuated once several years ago when I was still living in Glenfield with the Holsworthy fires. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've had a good practice run. Um, it's it's being being prepared. We we knew what was coming. We were hoping it wouldn't. I had mm. all my carry pages set up. I had other carers lined up. And thanks so much to all the people who helped. Mm. There were some wires branches as well, all wires carers. I had it all. I had it all organized. And um, well, we hope it doesn't happen again. But um, the bush is recovering nicely now. It's almost one year. So in about five years, it can it can all happen again when it's kind of all grown back again. Let's hope it doesn't. So the fires stopped at the border of your property? Is that correct? No. No, they came from Baragorang uh, in Buxton Way. Uh-huh. Uh, our property backs onto the bushland that goes pretty much all the way to the Blue Mountains. Okay. So it came through in between the barn and the house. Wow. And um, when I came back out here after three days to let us back in, I was in absolute shock. Everything was black. And we couldn't stay because no power, no water. Our village doesn't have water. We're all on tank water or bore water. So if you have no electricity, you haven't got any pumps, so therefore you're not going to have water. Hmm. Which is then also water for the animals as well, as well as yourself and... Yeah, so, and yeah. no electricity, which which we cook up with. We've got torches and candles, but you can't do without water. You can't get it without a pump. Mm. So now it did, it, it did go through Balmoral all up as far as I know four times with the wind changes. It went through and four it times. Through. It came through four times. Yeah, the wind changed. I'm not quite sure where it came from, but it went through Balmoral four times as far as I know on Thursday the 20th. Um, Friday, I'm not sure, but Saturday the 21st, it came through a couple more times. And the other side and some of my neighbors says nothing left. It's absolutely wiped out. It's gone. And unfortunately, a lot of the animals too. Initially, they thought 2 million, but it's um, now 3 billion, mainly all the reptiles. But And I couldn't find any reptiles. I couldn't see the kangaroos anymore. I saw a couple and a few had burnt feet, but you can't catch them. Mind you, that one actually survived, which is really good. 
I saw them a couple of days ago. Um, so, so many animals left, uh, lost. And nothing after I walked in the bush after the fires, I uh, found a couple of burnt animals. Um, immediately after we did a few rescues, the ones I did was possums. They were so badly burned, but still alive. So they had to be raised to the vets for euthanasia, unfortunately. When we spoke earlier, you were saying that um, you used to have 40 kangaroos that were coming onto your property. Now there's around six. Um, yes, it was usually about 40. And when I came back, I did look. I went for a walk down the bush. I, I couldn't see any. So at the moment, there's about six uh, eastern greys. Um, there was also two red-necked wallabies, and they're still alive. I did see them after a couple of months again. And you know what happened? The sad thing is, after the fires, because there's no food, the animals go, we got so many hit on the road because there's grass growing on the edge of the road. Oh. And all this, I have, I don't even know how many, like many, many kangaroos and wombats got hit on the road. I, I got them off the road. Um, and none of them had been burned. They were all the survivors. So it's a real double whammy. Mm. But there's certain pockets where there's still quite a few kangaroos, mm. which is good. So now there's another 75 or so down at Buxton in one spot where it didn't burn. So they must have been able to to get away from the fire. If someone finds an animal on the side of the road, a kangaroo or a wombat, what's the process that they should do to check the pouch? Um, if Yeah, it's it's best to call wires. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the kangaroo, if it's an adult kangaroo or wombat badly injured, you can also call the police. Um, they will, they will certainly, they always help us a lot. They always assist. Um, if the animal is alive, is it's best not to approach it. Um, stand like ten meters away and and just call. Um, as I said, you can call the police because it could be a hazard for other drivers as well. Mm-hmm. Because those animals are clearly in pain and they're suffering. And as I said before, the fright and flight response, they can easily attack you. If the animal is visibly deceased, what's the process then for people that want to check if there's any young? Uh, yes, yeah, still, I would still, a lot of people still ring wires because mm-hmm. uh, different animals have like the pouches are different. And if you don't know what you're looking for, um, um, for example, the pouch of a wombat faces backwards. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a pouch from the top, you won't find one. And that's because they, they dig. And if they dig into the ground to make a tunnel, the dirt would go into the pouch. So their pouch is backwards. And also some pouches of kangaroos, it might look like there's not a pouch. And it could be a little one in there, but the pouch is very tight. But certainly you can sort of have a look. And the difference between the males and the females is um, is actually quite easy because with wombats and kangaroos, they have very, very large testicles, so you can't go wrong. Um, the pouches definitely have a look. Um, again, if they're on the road, it's it's very, very dangerous. Please be careful you don't get hit yourself. It has happened to people trying to assist. Um, again, call buyers, and if it's in a really dangerous location, call the police as well. And uh, Also, before I forget, if you find anything else, like a bird or something, best thing is put it in a box, put a towel in the box, cover the box, Never give it food or water and take to the closest vet, vets. Most of it's taking native animals and they call wiresen or other wildlife orcs. I do know that the biggest mistake that a lot of people make when they find like a possum or something, they give it cow's milk, which is the absolute worst thing you can do, isn't it? Correct. And we just reminding me of something very important. If you find baby ducklings, uh-huh. never put them in water. They either drown or they get so cold and die of hypothermia within 24 hours. Okay. It's the same if you've got an injured person. Don't give it any food or water. Keep it in a nice, quiet spot, nice and warm, and leave it alone. Don't handle it. Don't talk to it because you're stressing it out. Uh, Call wires or take to your closest vet, and the vets will obviously assess the animals and then call, call out for a rescue. With your setup, when you were dealing with the, the animals that were um... – injured um i know you took in some sugar gliders you rescued some sugar gliders as well um yeah. what's the treatment pro- like process with the with their burns because some of them are really aw- the awful awful situation 
Uh, well, they all have to go to the vet, and we go to the wildlife vets, specialist mm-hmm. vets, mm-hmm. and they they assess the animal and they prescribe the treatment. What they need, they might need antibiotics. With possums, they would get injections. With reptiles, they get injections, not tablets. Um, with birds, you give oral fluids. The vets will decide on the on the treatment, and uh, will give us some medications. So I haven't had any bird burns, victims in care. The gliders, luckily, were just out of range where the fires were. Okay. And they have already been released. Didn't um, one they found in a burnt-out stump or something? It wasn't. Yeah, there were some as well, but I didn't do that rescue. Ah. Came from a, my ones came from the bottom of a Telstra box. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. It was quite, quite comfortable in there, yeah. So those that are overseas that are listening to this, Telstra is one of the phone providers in Australia, and so they were hanging out in the equipment box. Yes. Is that right? Under, Just make themselves at home. Underground, under a big concrete slab, and what it, how they got in is they were next to a big light post with um, with piping and all the wires, so they would just slide down there. It must have been like a slippery dip. And <laughs> mum went in there with three babies in there, and uh, actually Telstra then rang us, oh, we've got some. Um, gliders in a box. I said, oh, okay. And she actually had taken the mud and put them in a box, which was really good. But we had to go back and double check to make sure that mum wouldn't get caught in there again. Mm. So there was, um, yeah, there's some really funny rescues as well, like ducklings falling down drains. And then we call the fire brigade also absolutely brilliant. All our rescue services are absolutely brilliant. Police will block the road. Fire brigade will block the road. I might go down the drain. Or they go down the drain. I've got all types of equipment and nets, and we get the little ones back out and hopefully reunite them with their with their parents, which which is always the best outcome. But any animals injured go obviously go to the vets for assessment and treatment, and then we have them in hospital cages, different species, different setups, and hopefully released back to where they came from as soon as possible. So, how long do you normally have an animal in your care for? What's sort of the longest that you would have an animal in your care? Uh, it's that's hard to say. The longest would be only only a couple of months, really. Okay. Because um, they need to go back. We can't keep them too long. And um, likewise, in other wildlife groups, we have to adhere to national parks guidelines and procedures and standards. Mm-hmm. See, so if you keep an animal too long, if if or a young animal, if it gets tame and it's not releasable, um, that's we we can't do that. So. Also, so when you deal with wild animals, don't talk to them. Minimal handling, they have to remain wild. The quicker they go back to where they were found, the better. When you're, So when you're evacuating the animals and they're going to a different carer, are you having to specify where you found them from so then they can release them? Oh, that's, that's all on the um, – WIRE's got a big database. Right. And we all, have, we, we all have access to our own databases. All the information is on there. What type of animal? Where found? Who found it? Uh, what condition it was in? Which vet? What medication? What did it weigh? So there's really, really good records are being kept. And um, each wise, we, we got different branches, and the coordinators have access to to their branches members. So we can always check who's got what in care and um, update update the database. So the records okay. are, are very well kept there. Yeah. And with the reptiles, I know we spoke a lot about the birds and everything, but with the reptiles, I'm assuming because they're not able to to fly or really jump or anything like that, it's mostly burns on their feet that you were finding. So was it a lot of wrapping treatments and, and have regular changes? Yeah, different creams and, and wrap. Again, the vets do it and then we told to, okay, change the wrapping or the strapping every two days. And you've been giving the stuff and you know what you're doing. And with reptiles, like I said, if you need antibiotics, they're always injectable. They don't, they don't get tablets. And uh, most of them are reptiles are pretty hardy creatures. They, they, they usually do very, very well. And actually what i got to tell you is because we got two dams on the property. Unfortunately, uh, one dam with the drought also, it was still a bit of water in it, but after the fires, it was totally dried out. And it had actually burnt out. And there was one burnt turtle at my Aww. neighbor's dam right in the middle of it. Uh, absolutely. I did find other bodies as well. It's just horrific. 
So you think it's safe when there's a meat of water in it. No, it isn't. Yeah. And other things, sooty birds. We still get sooty birds, but obviously they get we get cockatoos that look more gray than white. Mm-hmm. But obviously they're still in using for breeding again the tree hollows. And it's still all sooty. So if I go for a walk down the bush and touch a tree, I'm on black. It's still all ashy and sooty. But when the fires before they came, I did notice a lot of animals flying across. And uh, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking. How have you coped with dealing the, with the mental anguish of seeing such injured animals in um, such volume? I've seen lots of things in my lifetime, multi mm. cases and whatnot. But um, yeah, well, it's very upsetting. But mm. we just we just keep going. We just keep doing what we're doing. There's nothing we could have done about this. It happened. It's in the past. We learn. I'll be much better prepared. I'm saving money now to get a huge wood tank and a generator and big houses for next time because it will it will most likely happen again. Mm. You just you just learn and um other some of my friends and some neighbors here um are still very, very upset. Uh lots of help is out there if somebody needs to have seeing a psychologist or counselor or whatnot. But you know, we still have people out here living in caravans in tents and this the fire was in December. And it's October of the following year now. So it's nearly yes, twelve some months. Of those people were insured. We also unfortunately had quite a few people who could never afford the insurance. But all the villagers got together. It's it's quite amazing. It's um I think there's about three hundred people in Balmoral Village where I am. Um and it's really amazing. Absolutely beautiful people. I'm so glad I moved here just in time for the fires, really. But um we all help each other, everyone's looking after each other. How long were you there for at the property before before all the drama happened with the fires? Eight months. Oh, so you were really new to the area then? Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. I knew there was a fire uh, six years earlier, 2013. Yeah. There's been many fires. There was one that did exactly the same, wiped everything out in 1913. Mm-hmm. There's been some in the 30s. Um, 2013, 2019, and then, well, and look, we've prepared the property as well. When we came back, the, the gutters were still full of water, uh, so hopefully that, that would have helped. I demolished some of my almost garden beds because I like wooden wooden features, so I got out, I took that all out just as well. And yeah. Had you had you been in a rural area prior to moving to that location? Um, no, no, it was suburbia. Okay, so this was your first real situation with having to evacuate. Well, you said a year before you had to evacuate, though. Oh yeah, in Glenville. Yeah, no, well, I saw the flames probably about half a kilometer when I thought that was too close for my liking. Yeah, I'm moving. <laughs> yeah. It didn't burn then, but I didn't know that. So I thought better safe than sorry. Especially well, you could you always come back, can't you? Yeah. So you had your fire plan already and ready to go. Yeah, like I said, all the all the rural fire stations for for two months before already uh, had lots of meetings, fire plans, handing out pamphlets, discussing issues. This is why I did evacuate twice because when I spoke to him again, and he says with the animals, he says if he mm-hmm. comes, you will not. You will not get them out. There's another mm. lady across the road. She's lost all her animals. Oh. They, had, they had 10 minutes to get out. I saw that. And she said she had, she had a duck and the duck was sitting on eggs and she came back and the duck was still sitting on eggs, but the duck was black. Those animals didn't even have a chance to run. It just went whoosh. It's uh, unbelievably quick. Mm. So... Yeah, and, you know, I thought next time, which probably will come one day, I still don't know, will I, of course, I evacuate animals, but will I stay if I get my huge water tank and my fire hoses? Yeah, I might. (laughs) Or will I not? I still don't know. Because our neighbours, well, they're half a kilometre away, actually. 
um, that lady's husband stayed and he saved the house. But then the fire went across the road and burned one house and the three houses on either side weren't touched. You just don't know. It's really strange. It's cruel, isn't it, when you sort of see that pattern and you see one house saved and yeah. the one next, right next door burnt. People feel extremely guilty. I had the same thing. I still feel, oh, my God. I mean, we knew and uh, we were so lucky. I mean, we had a lot of damage. Yeah. All around the property is all gone. We were insured, thank God. Uh, the house and the barn is standing, but uh, we had just planted a couple of hundred native trees. Well, no oh. more. We, we, we're replanting. <laughs> but uh, this, and then you have people here who, or, or like say, people who retired and didn't have the money to, to pay insurance. Yeah. And it's hard because the sprinkler systems that you can purchase and um, A, are expensive, but B, and I know down in Victoria um, with the Black Saturday fires, a lot of them just melted. It was so hot. Oh, so look, did... it, no, I, I wouldn't even. Once you see this, mm. there's, there's, no, there's no way of stopping it. You can have, can have a house the size of an elephant. I mean, our fire is, you know, those houses are pretty quick, uh, big. Yeah. When I came back on day three, when I was allowed back in, the fire engine was still at the back putting a fire out in our property. So, and the thing is the embers, spot fires. Mm. There's mm. so many bits through our property. We had the window shut, and but the lounge was burnt inside. Don't ask me how. We blocked all the holes. So I, I was evacuated for two weeks because we couldn't sleep inside because of the smoke. A minute little gap obviously will do for embers to go in and the smoke to go in. Couldn't breathe. Absolutely couldn't breathe. So I came back on the 1st of January. I could have come back on the 31st, but I thought the new new, new year start might be better. Yeah, fresh year, fresh pr perspective. But I did, I did drive out every day uh, with lots of animal food to support feed the local wildlife. My car full every day, so I drove every day. For, also 80 k's. From where I lived before, my neighbor was kind enough to put me up. And every morning I'll be out here. I'm just putting food around and getting a bucket and filling up little water stations for animals. So I did that every day for a fortnight. And uh, the food was gone, so it helped, but because I couldn't stay here. Because we couldn't breathe. And outside wasn't an option to sleep outside. Who's funding this food that you're putting out? Uh, at the time, a lot of locals donated things. Um, I did buy quite a few things. Yeah. Buyers um, was also getting donations in, but that was pretty much after the bushfires. So they're really good in helping now, and they're doing lots of things. Um, they're now working also, again, with councils to install lots of mm -hmm. signs on the roads, like mm -hmm. wildlife crossing and this and that. Uh, well, there wasn't any time. I just went out and bought stuff. But people donated to the fire stations, and then I would drive past and say, have you got any of these? Have you got kangaroo pellets? This, that, that bird seed, 20 kilo bags, a whole lot. So you just you just do what you have to do. I know there's a um, – I think there's just been a million dollars donated as well for troughs for the koalas for the drought in drought-affected areas. Yeah, they're doing all sorts of water stations now. Yeah. Different types of troughs and um, – all sorts of different designs of water stations. So we're we okay now. It's The bush is growing back. There's grass back again. There's plenty of water because what happened after the fires, we actually got flooded. I remember that it was a double whammy, wasn't it? So you, you had the fires go through and then everything was flooded and all the topsoil went and it was just sort of double whammy. Yeah, seeing that everything was still black, uh, it was just a black slurry out there, yeah. Hmm. I wish the rain would have come a little bit before before that, but uh, that's how it is. What was the process that you went through to become a carer? Because not everybody can just go out and rescue wild, Australian native wildlife. There's a process and training and permits that you have to have. Yeah. You can actually look online at wires.org, uh, look at the wires website, mm -hmm. how to become um, a carer. Um, to be with wires, it doesn't mean that you have to do two rescues a day or 1.8 a week or something, or you have to look after an animal, you can also join and help when you can. Of, we also need people 
who do the basic course. You can do more and more courses when you when you go along anytime you like. You can specialize with certain animals. There's, it's never ending. There's lots of things you can do. But so if you can't care for animals in your house, you can still join wires because we also need people to do the rescues and transport the animal to the vet or to a carer or to the coordinator. So there's plenty of work. Like I said, it's a real good team. If you can care for an animal at home, you can. Um, your coordinator will will also help out and show you how to look after the animal, what to feed it, what to do, how to set up the cage, how to set up the equipment, and so on and so on. Now, it's important to note that WISE is mostly New South Wales. So if you're in another state, you just Google... Um, uh, okay. Wildlife rest, wildlife yeah. orcs, yeah. Okay. And if you are interested in becoming a carer, WISE is also asked not to phone them because it clogs the phone lines for emergency services for the animals, but to email them. Um, and I'll attach the email yeah. in the in the podcast notes, but it's training at yeah. WISE, W-I-R-E-S.org.au. Yeah. And that's for New South Wales, um, Australia. So if you're overseas, you'll need to look at your own uh, country's uh, sites. But, but yeah. Yeah, Google it. Never, never look on Google. Google it. Exactly. Google, Inga, what? At the Wires <laughs> website, there's also lots of information on there, fact sheets about different animals. Uh, at the moment, the, the course, is, it's, it's, it's pretty much all online because of COVID at the moment as well. Yeah, because that's affecting um, the face-to-face training as well, isn't it? Unfortunately, it is, yeah. But there is still ways that you can volunteer and help out. And it's best to start that process now before it gets to panic season. Because I know that there was a lot of people in the height of the height of um, the fires reaching out saying, I want to care for the animals because there was so much uh, footage of just the heartbreak of all the injured animals. But it was sort of too late then yeah. because everyone, they needed experienced carers. Um, uh, yeah, so if you, if you do... Do the basic course. You can you can't rescue everything. You know you wouldn't be allowed to rescue a, a monitor lizard, a goanna, or a snake, or a crocodile, or something. You know uh, that that requires different training again, mm. uh, or any really dangerous animals or situations. So if you go out and your first rescue is a cockatoo, uh, <clears throat> you would probably have someone with you, or you ring your coordinator uh, and say, during the hands-on, you would actually we physically demonstrate how to catch a cockatoo. Obviously, not providing live animals, just pretend ones. Yeah. Um, and how to rescue an animal and what type of rescue basket to put them in. They, they all have different rescue baskets. You can look, use boxes for birds, which is wonderful, but not for cockatoo. They eat out of there within a few seconds flat. And then you have them flying around in your car, which which <laughs> has happened to people. So you, no boxes for cockatoos, but if it's really badly injured, it's okay if they don't move much. Cockatoos are so, they're so destructive. They're such a funny animal. Oh, oh they're, they're, they're very funny. They're one of my favourite animals, cockatoos. So what's this What's this summer looking like at the moment, Inga? Uh, it's starting to get quite warm. I mean, we're still in drought, but on the other hand, we have, it's actually a bit of moisture in the ground. Before the fires, it was from, uh, it was only 3% moisture in the ground. Uh, I can't tell you how many percent now, but there was apparently just ridiculously low. Um, mm. We're expecting in the Sydney region a lot of rain during November and December, and we're all hoping for that, so the dams dams will be filled up. Yeah. Uh, we said will obviously be a lot of storms as well, and where I am in the Southern Highlands, it's very stormy anyway. That's why it's the Southern Highlands, I think. Um, it will be very hot, but it will be a very wet summer, which which is good, thinking of the fires. Are you racing to get tanks in now so you can capitalise on those um, on the rains? Yeah, the thing is I'm still saving up for a really big tank. So we got two dams and I'm sure with the last time after the fires when it rained, our dams actually over, were overflowing, but they're already half empty again because um, I think everything does leak a little bit, especially after it's been so dry. And yeah. when the dams dry, they had the big cracks, really big cracks. So, which is obviously clay. So this time last year, they also started leaking or just, uh, I know they evaporate as well, but I think there'll be, so there should be lots of rain for, for this um, this summer, we hope anyway. So will the rain help seal the cracks up in the clay? Like how do you seal the cracks up in the dam? Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. That's the thing. Um, I've been looking at all sorts of things. There's no way we're going to dig it out because there's wildlife in there. 
Yeah. There's turtles in there. Um, there is a product. Um, I'm still looking into which one, which is safe for the environment, for for fauna and flora, for the turtles yeah. and all. So I'm looking into this. Our neighbor just um, put that in his stem and we just see how it goes because it's very, very expensive. Yeah. It's sort of like a powder sort of thing you, you put in there and it fills the cracks in. But then I want to oh. know if it fills the cracks and what if there's a turtle in the crack, does it fill it in and all that? So I'm still looking into things. Yeah. And I'm assuming that the, the tank that you're saving up for is going to be a concrete tank as well? Um, no, not necessarily. Okay. Um, maybe just, I mean, yeah, that's the thing too. Uh, next to us, and when we're talking like 100 metres, um, the tank shriveled up and the big shed, which was metal melted, ours mm. didn't. And then it went zigzag everywhere. So no, 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 just a big tank with a big pump, a generator, obviously. Yeah. As you know, even before there is a fire, the power will be turned off and we're still here with, here with our power mm. for safety reasons, obviously. Yeah. Well, Inga, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything more that you would like people to know about WISE? Yes, we need lots more volunteers. Like I said, if you can only help once a week, you still be saving animals. It'd be wonderful and everyone would be welcome. Please look on the WISE website. There's so much information on there. You can have a look at the different animals. It explains about the courses. As said, it's all done online now. So if you want to do the course now, they're online. Mm. Um, and that course, it does include going out, retrieving the injured animal and then taking it to a carer. If, you, if you're in an apartment or in a house and you don't have the space to actually care and you haven't done that training, you can still help rescue. You need to do the basic course, which is called the risk yeah. course. Yeah. We but once you've done that, you can go out. Yes, you can. Yeah. And your, your coordinator will explain to you what you can, what you can't do. As I said, you wouldn't you wouldn't rescue an Eastern Grey kangaroo or a snake. Please don't. <laughs> Even I'm still holding my breath when I rescue snakes. <laughs> yeah, sure. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to refuse a rescue? No. I'm, I'm one of those really tough cookies. I like doing very, very difficult rescues. That's my favourite. Even difficult, difficult customers. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I do I do actually love those. So you'll even uh, do like if you had an injured eastern brown snake or anything like that, you'd go out and rescue it, which is a highly poisonous one to anyone else that's overseas. Yes, I've done the, I finally did the snake course in November last year. My first rescue was a brown snake. Oh, Inga! <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. It was actually a, a local school. They've got a snake, they got it in a box. You know the rims of paper boxes? Yeah. That little snake, it's only a baby. I thought that's even worse. But they bite and they don't know how much venom to inject. So I had no idea what was in the box. I thought, okay, I know what local snakes. It's only as long as half your arm. Uh, they had it taped up with duct tape. It was on the building side. Thank God I got surgical scissors in the car. There was so much tape. So I went down the bush, got my scissors, opened the box, opened the lid, and went, oh, my God, it's Jack in the box. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky he didn't launch out. You're lucky he didn't launch out at you. No, you just got to be careful. Look, in general, snakes are not aggressive. It's what people do wrong when the snake yeah. starts themselves. You hear a lot of people say brown snakes are aggressive. No, they're not. But if you do something wrong, they will defend themselves. Yeah. brown. A lot of Australian yeah. snakes actually, there's that well-known well known saying, they're more afraid of you than, than we are of them. So If they have a way to get away, they will. Yeah. Yeah. No, snakes are okay. But um, like I said, we said when I held my breath and then uh, I had a good look at it in the box, you know, then I did another one. I mean, they're all venomous anyway, most of them. Yeah. So brown snake, second most venomous snake in the world. You probably don't die from it if you get to the hospital. There's a couple of snakes that you probably in central Australia or something, deadliest snake, mulga snake or fierce, fierce snake. If they won't bite you, you won't even time, have, have, have time to dial triple O or an ambulance. Uh, but we don't walk around in the desert, so it's okay. <laughs> Everybody in Europe is just like, oh, my God. What did you think when you came to Australia and you were dealing with all these, this wildlife? Oh, look, I always loved animals. And um, I did read lots of books about coming to Australia, but I knew that kangaroos are not jumping down the main street of Sydney. That's one thing I knew. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, come on. We used to ride them to school. Don't, don't you know, let the Americans down with their ideas of what Australia is like. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, should I say welcome to our listeners overseas now? Or is yes. That funny? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look, I, I read up about the fauna and flora and all that. And as soon as I could every weekend, because I was working full time, then I would actually go out and go for walks in, in bushland and friends in the country and spend a weekend on the farm. And I thought, this is what I want to do one day. But it was always out of reach. It's just, um, just was not something. Because I arrived with a backpack. And then I had posted three boxes of clothing and German beer glasses, of course, because I'm from Munich, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I started, I started here with nothing. Uh, so but, were you, uh, did you accidentally end up living in Australia? Were you over here just backpacking and you went, I want to stay? Uh, I came with a lovely gentleman. Um, we're still friends. Yeah. I came for one year, but then I don't know what happened. It's now 40 years later. Uh, I had residences right away, and I, no, I absolutely love it here. I do miss home. I mean, everyone who's listening now, if you're from overseas, you have two homes. You think of home, but you always think of the good things and birthdays and Christmas and Easter, and you get very upset, and then it's all okay again. But mm-hmm. Australia is the most beautiful country. we got so much space that the wildlife is just amazing here. Mm. Mm. And I think that in the Aussie spirit, everyone needs to jump on and do their bit for the wildlife. Start your training now so you're prepared for when disasters happen and you're not waiting for it to to sort of kick off and um, go from there. Like I said, go go on the website and you can pretty much sign up there for for the course. As said, due to the COVID, um, it's all online now. And whichever branch you will be joining depends on where you live. Uh, You will be contacted and the coordinators and other members will then help you out and assist you. Inga, you're an absolute gem. I hope that you find the funds quite quickly to get that big water tank and you get to seal up all your dams. And uh, it sounds like the community yeah. there is really pulled together after the fires. So, Best place ever. I mean, it's just really, I knew it was nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, Inga. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 